Hello and welcome back to the Happy Smiling People podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Annie Stewart, founder of Scottish homeware brand Anta. Based in the Highlands, Anta place a huge emphasis on using local materials in their products, providing employment to locals in the rural Highlands, creating products that encapsulate the colours of Scotland and make long-lasting items that will stand the test of time. Expect to learn Annie's top tips for business, what it's really like to live in a castle in the Highlands, how to integrate bold colours into your interiors, why you should invest in timeless pieces for your home and much more. Enjoy the episode and do click subscribe to keep up to date with new releases. Annie, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for joining. So first question, why did you start Anta? Well, I went to art school in the late 70s, early 80s, and I studied fine art. And the there was a re- sudden realisation when I left art school, uh, having done extremely well at art school and completed a postgraduate in drawing and painting and printmaking, I realised I was qualified to do absolutely nothing. And except I could go on to teach, but I didn't really want to have a traditional teaching role. Although actually now a lot of my time is spent teaching and training craftspeople. I married a fellow student from the college, um, my husband, Lachlan, who's my co-founder, and he's an architect. And that was a useful thing to do because he... He wanted, He's a Highlander and he wanted to go back to home, to the Highlands, to the north of Scotland, where he was brought up and wanted to have a family and wanted his family, very importantly, to be brought up as a Highlander. And we were at college in Edinburgh, the art school there. And we reckoned that if we were going to start our own business as a design-led company, we had better uh, start off in London. So... Having spent a year or two in the Highlands, we then moved to London and worked with other companies doing product design. So I, at the art school, trained in uh, drawing and painting and learned to use colour, understood about materials and understood about proportion. And so that was a very good grounding for basically allowing me to design anything. I worked principally in textiles using my ability to use colour and my husband although he was an architect, uh, worked doing jewellery design and um, cutlery design, moving from home furnishing to fashion. So we did start a bit more in fashion. But because he was an architect, we decided to produce our own home furnishing collection, do the architecture from the inside and from the outside, and to be able to do a complete turnkey solution. That was our ambition. We wanted to live in the Highlands and train people to use local materials and train so that's where the teaching came in and we take people now from school and we um, train them to in ceramics and in textiles because we have our own workshops um, which is actually where they started off as workshops but we actually now have a small factory unit and we do small batch production on a on a commercial scale. So it, that was the vision at the beginning, and after the company's now 40 years old, and or will be next year. We started in um, 84, and uh, the next generation are, 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 we have three children who are all art school trained, and all doing their own things, and they have their own careers, but are able to continue 
from the outside helping to direct the business um, and keeping it true to its philosophy, which was to be design-led, manufactured in Scotland, or in, and particularly in the north, in a rural area. And, you know, continuing to make sure that local uh, young people are trained um, with a skill. I'm pretty confident that that will continue. You started ANTA, and what was your first collection? Because now you do ceramics, you do homeware, you do uh, some accessories as well. Where did that begin? The first collection I did was for, was fashion, and I worked with fashion designers. So I did a, a collection of scarves with Catherine Hamnett. We did uh, a collection of scarves and jewellery with Jasper Conran. We did one throw for uh, Ralph Lauren, only one. Um, and then I realised, and then I also did a, a collection of scarves for an American designer called Jeffrey Bean, and we did a range of ties and also, funnily enough, silk ties and waistcoats, but also uh, ceramic beakers and shaving dishes, little pots and shaving dishes for Paul Smith. So that gave me a bit of experience in product design and working commercially. But I also want, realized that I, that I wanted to build our own brand because that was important um, for, for us to continue because what happens when you work with a designer is they'll let you do one collection and then you'll drop the next season and that's no use for uh, continuous employment of your staff. So you need to uh, really have your own brand so that you can keep, that you that basically you're in charge of your own destiny and you and you call the shots in the marketplace not, not, and you're not beholden to somebody else. And... Um, so that's what we set about doing. So the first collection we did was a furnishing collection of tartan-based, but the, all the fabrics were recoloured, but they were, but it was curtain fabric, curtain and upholstery, I think. And we did very well with it. And we got a distributor in the United States. And at the same time as the fabrics, we also started to work with a ceramic uh, company, this was all while we were living in London. We made a range of tiles, first of all, and then we did a range of tableware and just by chance started to do checks on the table, you know, with a with a roller and doing a simple check design on the tableware. And that rather took off um, because we hadn't realised it, but we were the first people to put tartan on ceramics. Not Not even the Victorians had done it. Because with ceramics, the pattern on a ceramic is either an overall colour, which is like the whole piece is then dipped in a plain coloured glaze, or you have a design which they call a sprig design, which is like a spot or a little motif that is placed at random o over the shape because obviously you're decorating a three-dimensional shape and each shape is, is different, a different scale and a different form. So to do an overall pattern which principally a tartan is a grid over a, a rounded shape was a bit of a challenge but um, we've worked on that very successfully yeah. and obviously nobody else had explored that so when we were working with the our distributor in the United States he was called Christopher Highland and he had a showroom in the decorated design building he introduced us to big department store, famous department store in New York called Bergdorf Goodman. 
and they buyer there enjoyed what we were doing and he and I just started the ceramics I mean literally had only made half a dozen pieces and we had a house in London our house in London was in Spitalfields and he arranged for American House and Garden to come and photograph our house and this would be 35 years ago because I our eldest son was a very small child you know he was a toddler I put these ceramics that we were experimenting with in the kitchen dresser because I said, oh, well, if an American company, we'd better put these tartan plates and beakers in the <laughs> dresser because the Americans will like that. And anyway, they photographed the house, yes. which we had tartan carpet and curtains and decorated it with our own fabrics. They were publishing the article in their September issue. They saw the photograph of the ceramics and they asked if we would provide corporate gifts for their best advertisers. And I... Of course, we'd only made half a dozen pieces. We hadn't actually gone into production. So, of course, I said yes. Well, of course, we could do that. And they said, could they have a 100 pieces of different value? So, um, and could it be packaged and boxed? Well, of course, I went to a packaging supplier who said, oh, no, their minimums were a 1,000 of each shape. So, you know, that was a waste of time. So I said, oh, well, we won't package them, but we'll gift wrap them and we'll put them in a box when we'll wrap it in green paper and we'll put tartan ribbon on it. And they loved the idea of that. So we then had to make these pieces, which we made by hand. We, you know, we hand threw them and we were working with uh, a workshop on the edge of London with our, you know, proper uh, ceramic artists. And they made them for us and we decorated them and packaged them and sent them out. And one of their best advertisers was Bergdorf Goodman and they sent us an order for £10,000 worth of um, ceramics. And so we were launched. You know, that was it. And we sort of had, then had to find That's a such a good story. It, so it was in quantity. So that, that was <laughs> when um, it was an uphill journey, uh, adventure. I think adventure, a bit of a struggle, but really more of an adventure. It was exciting. And then we sold those ceramics yeah. to uh, Trisha Guild in London. She took some. Uh, we sold them to Harvey Nichols and we got them into other stores. And so that was the sort of beginning of the journey of the ceramics, working alongside the textiles, selling um, fabrics, furnishing fabrics to interior designers, mostly. My husband particularly decided that we were doing rather well in London. And I remember getting all the windows in Liberties in Regent Street, the whole, every single window all the way down Regent Street and thinking how exciting that was. And then we literally packed our bags and moved to the Highlands, moved home to my husband's uh, part of the world because he wanted to, he's an architect but interested in conservation and he, he had bought a, a ruined castle and he wanted to restore it and wanted the family to be brought up in the Highlands. And that's when we started manufacturing ourselves because Obviously, this isn't a role for um, a designer in the north of Scotland. It's too, you're too far away. This, these were the days of pre-internet, and and there was no way that you could have a global outreach from living in a, a rural place. So we and we were forced to start our own brand, our own label, and manufacture ourselves. And we then were manufacturing in small quantities, and we had our own shops. Gradually, we had a little shop in Edinburgh. 
And then we got a bigger shop in Edinburgh and then we got a shop in London and one in Glasgow and we became retailers. And that was the best way to um, promote the brand because, you know, you put your you have a shop, you put your name above the door and you put a label on your product and people associate, you know, that product with the with the brand and. It, it it develops a personality of its own. Then, of course, you know, fast forward to this 2019, we lost three quarters of our business overnight because we were retailers. We were man- designers, manufacturers and retailers. And fortunately, we only lost three quarters of our business because quite a lot of our friends and colleagues lost all their business. Um, but we had one online shop that was big, as big as all our other shops. We've got a young managing director now who was able to realign the business so that we're now almost completely online and has put the turnover back up to pre-pandemic levels. And of course, because we don't, we're not paying uh, rent and rates for retail shops in, in high streets, uh, in capital cities, we're um, much more profitable. So we're able to expand, expand the factory and, um, you know, develop new product and bring in and train new people. So it's, it's actually funny enough, been quite a positive, um, out of adversity has come, you know, moving to the Highlands in the first place, looked on the surface to be a bad idea, but in fact, we turned it into our own advantage because it's it's what forced us to create our own brand and stand by it. And then the pandemic, I mean, it, retail was going that way anyway. Um, people were buying online. The pandemic forced us to close our shops and forced us to um, go into the into e-commerce and into that space. So yeah, it's been um, been a happy, smiling process, really. Not entirely. I don't think it's been entirely without difficulty and it's certainly been a challenge, but it's um, it, it's been a positive. It's definitely been a positive and we're still, we're just about to celebrate 40 years. So we're definitely in, still in business. That's an amazing story that, that you've had with Anta and so many progressions within that and to have only done a few ceramics and then be employed to do such a huge quantity I love that you were just saying yes that's what people say about business just say yes don't say nothing nothing's impossible because you can do it and I think that's so great and I just want to pick up on one thing you said that you moved to a ruined castle in the highlands of Scotland like that sounds like a fairy tale was it a fairy tale yeah well we achieved it yes that was a sort of separate project that I was just a sort of a cheerleader from the side, really. It, it was absolutely my husband's project. I had no idea um, how to go about it. And I had complete trust and faith in him. I, he appeared to know what he was doing. He did a very clever thing. He said to me, it's all about, from an, for an architect, for a long-term project like that, it's all about managing people's expectations. And he said to me, um, and if you don't manage people's expectations, right, there's inevitably disappointment. So he said to me, listen, Annie, we'd like, I'd like to do this. I don't have a lot of money. You, we're going to have to, it's going to take 10 years. Are you up for it? Because basically we're going to be camping for 10 years. 
and living hand to mouth. And I will work as an architect and what I earn, I will use the, my salary to pay for a stonemason and a labourer. Could you earn enough money to buy the groceries and manage with the children and, you know, somehow pay the nanny and buy the groceries? And together we'll do this project, but it will take 10 years. We bought the castle in 1990 and we... Got didn't get planning permission to stop it falling down because it was a scheduled monument until 93, by which time uh, Stella, my I was pregnant with my youngest child, Stella, and we were digging out the nettles and, you know, you know starting the work uh, in 93. We then finally finished the castle in 90 at the end of 98 she had her fifth birthday party in the castle and so it actually only took five years but from 1990 to 98 in other words lucky my husband had said it'll take 10 years and we actually did it in eight although the building work only took, as I say it, it took three years before we got permission to start and the actual work only took five years but if it had taken, he'd said 10 years and it had taken 12, I might have divorced him because that's when <laughs> disappointment starts to, you know, if you don't achieve, yeah. what, if you set yourself an unrealistic target. So I think for anyone, you know, when it's a long-term project like that, and the same in business, you know, you're not going to, you know, make a fortune overnight in anything, really. I mean, if you do, you'll find you'll be in that business that's here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, what, what, when, when you're in a, you know, a sort of not very exciting on the surface business, like restoration architecture or, or conservation architecture or making, you know, rugs and mugs and kind of, you know, not particularly innovative products themselves, they're not going to be wildly fashionable. But on the other hand, they're not going to get out of fashion. You know, they're always going to be here. There's always going to be a need. Um, how you go about uh, your route to market needs to be inventive. And you need to embrace technology, embrace change. You've got to be re ready to pivot quickly. As you say, you have to accept it, do it, and then worry about how you're going to get there you know once you've said yes just do just do it you know I always think that that Nike phrase they use just do it don't, don't worry about it don't talk about it too much just get on and do it and it won't be perfect uh, but the great thing is you'll learn from the, the, the things that aren't perfect and you'll the, the next one will or the next iteration will be better and you'll learn and you only you and really you only learn i mean it sounds trite but you really only learn from your mistakes and that's how you improve and that's how you move on and and if you accept that and you you mustn't be disappointed you know you mustn't go like go through life being disappointed you 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 you've got to accept the challenge and embrace it and accept that you know nothing's going to be exactly right and actually I learned that at art school when I did uh drawing and painting and everything would be in one painting and you know you would you would try and put all your ideas onto one canvas and then when I did a postgraduate I 
I specialized in printmaking and I suddenly realized the excitement of the multiple. And I realized that I, you don't have to be precious. You don't have to put everything into that one piece of work. You can actually do variations and you can try something else. You can, um, you know, explore other areas. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. And you can go back to the, the same you know, I, I did a lot of lithography, so I, you could go back to the same plate and try something else. And I think that that was liberating for me, not realizing I didn't have to be precious, you know, and if it, if it wasn't perfect, it didn't really matter. And we now make, particularly in the ceramics, we make hundreds, if not thousands of the same product um, over and over again. And you don't have to be, as I say, too precious about it. And a lot of so the outer products really are inspired by the Scottish landscape. How do you maintain your Scottish authenticity within your products as they evolve? I married a man who is a Highlander. He's six foot six. He's called Lachlan Stewart and he wears a kilt and he plays the bagpipes. And I didn't make that up. So I always joke and say that, you know, and he's live the in best a castle. bit of mum. And we live in a castle, yeah. And, and it's... It's, a, you know, he was the best marketing tool. And, and quite a lot of Highland or Scottish brands have, have to make that up. And we don't. And we started the business ourselves. And so it's not like we're carrying any baggage. It's going to be harder for the next generation. But for us, if it failed, it didn't matter. If, the class, if we never managed to complete the class, it didn't matter. It wasn't as if it was a family heirloom and we were going to disappoint our grandparents or disappoint in, in terms of the business. There was, we weren't going to let anybody down. That's quite a nice position to be in. I mean, the way we remain authentic is because we live here and we really do live here. We live here all the time. So we put miles and miles. We, do, we travel a huge amount. Um, we, I go up and down the A9 to Edinburgh. We go up and down to London. We go abroad. You know, we have to go, we have to visit. We have to do, we're now doing more trade fairs because we're selling to other developing the that going back to doing more b2b and f business to business and finding partners that we want to work with in other companies we're doing the a nice project now which actually my daughter is really encouraged which is to buy uh the local wool from our local farmers um and because they're they're getting very little money for 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 the wool from their sheep, it costs them more to shear the sheep than they're actually getting for the wool product. And of course, all of our carpet and furnishing fabrics are made of pure wool. And particularly the carpet, we use huge quantities of it. So we're now buying our raw material literally from our doorstep. And we're processing that and dyeing and spinning it and using large quantities to make our carpet. So we've been working with flooring companies um making we make this flat weave carpet which we ourselves make into rugs and um rugs and runners and we sell them online and a little bit from our factory shop but um wall-to-wall -wall carpeting and stair carpeting we're selling through interior designers and flooring companies and it, that way we can use a lot you know if a, a stair a normal stair uses 14 meters of fabric. So you're using, a, it's a way of selling a lot of fabric and a lot of wool. So that makes, it's beginning to make sense 
being in the Highlands from a practical point of view as Stella's as Stella's as well as a romantic point of view. So when you say, oh, that sounds like a fairy tale, you live in a castle. Yes, it is a bit of a fairy tale, but it, from it's actually practical from the point of view of sourcing our raw material, obviously inspirationally. I mean, if you live in the Highlands, the light changes dramatically during the day and light is colour and you see. we The, the castle where we live is about... Um, nine miles from the factory and when I go home the sky and the landscape changes the season it's agricultural so the field can be well at this time of year the 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 fields the harvest they haven't quite started harvesting so everything is um, you know golden yellow and you know the the trees look dark against it the skies are depending on the time of day you know, can be green or can be purple or, you know, it's extraordinary. Skies are never necessarily blue in the Highlands. And, um, and that, <laughs> that way, it, it's amazing where we live, you know, and that, I think that's why people come on holiday in the Highlands. But we actually live here all the time. You guys are the real it's, deal. That's amazing. Yeah. And we, we have a very good life, you know, and we're all, the thing we have in common with all the people who work you know, in the team is we all want to, if we possibly can, we want to live in the Highlands and stay in, because the advantage of living in a rural place, the pace of life is slower and the quality of life is greater. Um, so, yeah, we all have dogs and gardens and, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty good. And you can really see in all of the Anta designs how you've taken in the inspiration from Heather, from the, the skies, as you've said. I actually, I haven't set this up, but I do have one of your beautiful throws right next to me. Good girl. And you can just so <laughs> see like all the colors of Heather and everything. I know my mum would be very proud of me um, right now. So yeah, <laughs> I just think it's amazing that you not only design them with the inspiration from Scotland, but you make them in Scotland. You sell them in Scotland and why have you chosen to manufacture everything in the UK and in Scotland itself? Well, I think it's because it, from an economic point of view, I, I always say to people I studied as a fine artist, but more and more I'm now specialising in sort of microeconomics. You know, I understand the value of providing a decent job in a rural area. So the girl particularly for girls um the the girls that come out of our local school well girls and boys i mean we employ some men as well but when they come out of school and they want to stay in the highlands there is not much for them to do um and if you want to make a decent living you really have to leave um and go to the city go to glasgow aberdeen edinburgh and that tends to be what happens or if you stay you know, you work for the post office or you can work in a supermarket or you can get a job offshore, perhaps, but you never quite know whether how long that contract is going to be. And, and I think just to be able to give someone a, a regular income, uh, reliable, so they can, you know, bring up a family and live a live their life here is is 
is important. So that's why it's important that it's here. And how much anta is in your home? Completely. Um, It's entirely uh, um, decorated with anta. And usually uh, seconds, things that haven't turned out quite right, um, things that I couldn't sell to somebody else. So by default, it's full of full of anta. Um, but I I like it. You know, they're friends. That so I I I wouldn't not have the, I wouldn't not have a house full of. Um, and actually, what's rather good is that we have inherited some early pieces of furniture, and although the 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 designs are modern and contemporary in some ways, they also blend very well with old with any kind of style of furniture and and the the soft furnishings work and so do the ceramics so i'm quite pleased that it fits in you know kind of mid-century modern setting but it also fits in it because the the designs are quite sort of scandinavian inspired um and they fit in a sort of northern european um aesthetic mm. um and i think because of where we are, you know, it, it's more the the design style is very more akin to something in in Sweden or in Stockholm. Uh, we I visit Stockholm quite regularly um, because I feel quite at home there, and I think that the color palette is very Scandinavian. The color palette we use, which is quite limited, and that's deliberate. You know, it, it's natural. We use one or two bright colours, but they're always um, balanced with a, a, a grey or a sort of quieter And that way, that way it, um, and it works. And do you find that with the fashion and interiors trends changing each season, does Antic try and keep up with that? Or do you pave your own path? Well, I... I, I, I... I sort of do my own thing in a way, but I'm very conscious of what of what what is happening um, inevitably. I mean, we've got a young team, uh, and especially my children probably tell me that things are looking a bit tired. But also, your customers—you're driven by your customers. It's what they they want, and I don't want to be just selling to people in my generation. You know, I need to make sure that the product works for younger younger people, and our our. Because our product's quite expensive and it's home furnishing, it, it tends to be bought. Our customer profile tends to be main customers are sort of aged between we reckon between thirty five and fifty five when people are actually making a home. You know, it's when you've got your own house and you've got your own and you're setting up a home yourself, um, and the pieces are they have a lifetime value. They, they don't wear out and they don't go out of fashion. So they're kind of investment pieces. And um, so you want to make sure that they're not, they don't scream a particular period. And actually, if I look back on the collection, oh, we're going to have a big show next year because we're 40 years old and we're going to divide it into four decades. And actually, some of the designs that I did right at the beginning, we still we still make because they're sort of classics and there are others that have changed probably with color fashion i remember there was a time when everybody wanted lime green i struggle now to sell lime green 
except in the spring when the landscape turns that colour. So, so there are certain colours that will go with the fashion, but um, uh, generally speaking, the, the designs are pretty classic and continue from literally one decade to the next, never mind one season to the next. The best type, for sure. And some of the anti-colour schemes in some of your products are quite bold. I was just wondering how you would suggest people integrate these products into their home and into their interiors. Well, a lot of people are a bit afraid of using colour, surprisingly, and I wonder why people decorate using grey because, you know, the world out there isn't grey by any stretch of the imagination and people are afraid. But I I can understand that using colour is a bit like, I would say, it's all about harmony and it's a bit like singing in tune. And if you get it wrong, it, it people are afraid of basically singing out of tune, which I can understand. So if you want to have a plain neutral background in your house to choose your favorite bright color you can literally use that as the feature so you can say okay you know I'm really fond of red or I really like turquoise blue or I like that blue orange combination I'm going to feature that in my house and I think what's useful is if you take one of the outer fabrics and any one of the fabrics has no more than probably four or maximum five colours in it. But then where the two colours cross, you're getting an interesting grey. And what you can do is use that as a starting point. So say you take an anti-carpet or an anti-throw, you could actually decorate your whole room, you know, use the green for your paintwork or the grey for, you know, your carpet or your furniture you know you can you can make it work i think um um using that as a sort of key to the interior decoration as a so that you're not introducing too many colors and it's it it works quite happily well take that throw you've got and you know you could do a whole interior scheme around it um picking out the colors and using that as a starting point it's it's great And to go to great efforts to ensure that they minimise their impact in the environment around them. Has this always been a core of your business approach? Well, it has not necessarily deliberately, but we've. Or when I first started in the 80s, I would say to people, of course, it's all natural materials, you know, and it's all, you know, designed and made in Scotland. And we use locally sourced materials and people used to go, oh, whatever. You know, if you bought it, if you had it made in the Far East, it'd be so much cheaper. And now, of course, people don't say that. Um, so in a way, we were slightly ahead of our time. But we we weren't on any kind of crusade, particularly. It was just that we felt that was the right thing to do. Um, if we were creating an authentic Scottish brand, then it must the materials must be sourced here. And the product must be made here. Otherwise, it wasn't genuinely a Scottish product. So that is what we've always done. And yeah, it makes so much on, sense you know, when we you have, say it like that. Well, also, it makes economic sense. And it, you're securing your pl- supply chain. You know, when we were very anti the whole Brexit idea because of you know how that would, the impact it would have on manufacturing businesses, but it actually didn't impact us at all because everything we make 
comes from this. All of our materials are British sourced. And so we weren't importing anything. The only impact it's had is on export. It's, it's a little bit more difficult just now to export to Europe. But from a manufacturing point of view, and I know so many people were frustrated by not being able to get components in from Europe um, so they couldn't complete the, their product. But we, we've been very lucky in the set. So in that way, using locally sourced natural materials makes sense from the, securing your supply chain. And it makes sense e- economically. And then inevitably, it has a low impact on the environment. I mean, I always say when I do a trade fair in, in, in England, I always say to people, you know, this is the first trip this carpet's had south of the border. You know, and it literally hasn't traveled very far. And now we're, as I say, now we're using the wool from our local farmers. It, you know, it's coming off our doorstep. And our ceramics are, I'm always proud to tell people that all we're doing is recycling mud. So the raw material comes in at one end and the, we make the, the, the clay, we make the glazes, we make the shapes and the finished goods come out the other end. From On the ceramic side, it's, we control every aspect of the process. What's your favourite task of the calendar year? I think, well, sale time is always good fun. That, um, you know, we always, um, it's great, it's great fun in business to... Uh, set things up and see the cash coming in and make and when you sell things at sale time uh, you're selling much more of it because the the price comes down and therefore it's more readily available so more people can afford it so sale time is always good fun everybody's massively busy everyone's enthusiastic and that happens a couple of times a year but we also do promotions weekly so we have kind of mini sales throughout the year and then we have twice a year, we have a, a, a big sale. So, yeah, the little promotions we do weekly are, are the Tartan Tuesday promotion, which we've been doing for about 10 years, at least 10 years, I think, 10 or 15 years probably. Since the pandemic, we do a cert, another promotion on a Sunday, which we call Spruce Up Sunday. So we do two promotions a week. And then and that gives us an opportunity to uh, promote new product or literally to shift excess product. And then we also do a nice thing in at Christmas time, which, which we have we've been doing for some years now, which is what we call the Advent Calendar, um, and we do a different promotion every day in December, and that goes down very well with our customers because basically we design it so that you can do your Christmas shopping for the entire family and friends. So we do product at different price points um, that to appeal to different different people, different ages and different genders. But having said that, you know, an anta scarf can be worn by a four-year-old and it can be worn by an 84-year-old. A lot of our, particularly our fashion product, and also some of the home furnishing things like mugs and bowls, they're neither gender-specific nor are they age-specific. You know, they can be used by anyone, anywhere. And that's a nice thing. That's that. Uh, again, it's nice to be able to do that, but it's also um, it economically makes sense because it means your audience is wider and less targeted. If someone was going to buy their first Anta product, what would you suggest it be? I think I would suggest it was an Anta bag. We make bags out of the carpet. And we started making bags 
by chance because we were fitting carpet for projects and we started to make bags from the leftovers, you know, the cuttings. And then the bags took off because they're strong, because they're made of carpet, uh, they're robust. And so we then thought we actually now probably make as much carpet into bags as we do into carpet rugs, surprisingly. And that is the younger age group. People the first start using an Anta bag at school. So it makes a very good school bag because it's strong and you can put your school books and your gym kit and sports gear in it and drag it back and forth to school. And it takes, you know, it doesn't mind quite a serious punishing. And that's very good for us because if I can get someone being familiar with the brand, you know, aged 15 or 16, and they take their school books to school and they do well at school, they're then going to go on and graduate and use their bag at university. And then they're going to be, uh, with luck, have, you know, qualify and, and, and work professionally and have a large income so they can then start buying other things from me. <laughs> um, the other thing, if, if you go early, I suppose, to that, to introduce a customer from the moment they're born, or literally the moment they're born, is we do a range of baby blankets, and that's not going to change. The first thing uh, you do for a newborn baby is you wrap it in a blanket. So we can provide a newborn baby with a baby blanket, and then as soon as it can drink out of a mug or it you know, needs to eat its porridge, we can provide it with a porridge bowl and a mug. So really, the you can start um you, you know with anta from from the moment you're born um and and people are i mean people give our uh, little mugs and baby blankets as um for newborns all the time they i love start how with... it's a lifestyle brand like for every age a group lifetime. and they literally last that can be the problem because they last a bit too long <laughs> I think that if the products... Yeah. You want people to keep buying. <laughs> exactly. You can, always, no, no, it's a good you can always have another mug in your cupboard. That's a good thing, for oh, sure. And you can always have another bag. Oh, I, that's amazing. what I tell people. You need a different bag to go with a different outfit. Exactly. A different scarf. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. That was such an interesting discussion. And I love how you don't only design based on inspiration from the Scottish landscape. You use the products from Scotland, you make them in Scotland, you sell them in Scotland, and you are the Anta brand. It's not just something that you do, it's a lifestyle. And I think that's really an inspirational story and also such a big advocate for um, actually buying even more Anta products. So <laughs> this has been an expensive podcast for me. Well, that's great. Thanks very much for inviting us. And people can find you online on your website and sign up to your, your newsletter for the Tartan Tuesday offers each week as well. I'll link that below so people can have a look at your website and follow you on Instagram and sign up to your newsletter. Well, thank you so much, Annie. Great. Thank you very much.